Thank you to our musicians. They remind us that we have an opportunity now to emerge from the place that we've been to the place that we are. And it's so good to hear their voices and to feel their spirits behind me even. But we are so glad to be here together. So thank you very much for reminding us that there is life in the morning and it's time to awake. Way back in my seminary days, a homiletics professor once said something that so struck me that I've thought about it over all of these 43 years that I've been in preaching ministry. And it's a delicious bit of soul food that I like to chew on and feast on over and over again. He said that each preacher really only has one sermon in them. And that sermon will be preached in a thousand different ways, with a thousand different stories, with hundreds of scriptures that finally breathe life into them. It's a lived sermon. A lived sermon. I think that the preacher's one sermon is found in the gold mine of their relationship with God. And that each preacher will continue to mine that rich vein of truth and faith their whole life long. They've come to discover that this great Eureka contains all the riches that could ever be dreamt of. It's the one thing that we have that we can't let go. It makes a demand on us to be shared over and over again and taught and lived until it becomes one with who we are. For me, the mother load of my sermon, my one sermon, is transformational grace. God's desire and willingness to walk alongside us, to love us and bless us and equip us for the long journey home, and the God-given capacity of us as humans to choose to keep moving and growing, to respond to God's grace and to open ourselves up for holy transformation. A few years back, I officiated at a memorial service for a staff member for their father in the church where I was serving. She read a poem at that memorial service called The Dash by Linda Ellis. It was very unique and very interesting to me because the dash that they're referring to in this poem is that little dash that's usually found on a, on a tombstone, a headstone. That little dash that's between when you were born and when you die. And that little dash represents all the time that you spent alive on earth. And that dash represents all the moments of embrace and rejection, of heartache and soulmate, of disappointment and victory, of tragedy and hilarity, of the first steps, the first tooth, the first tear, the first smile, the first time you fell in love, and the last time you fell in love. That little dash represents all 
of the moments that make up life. And so in this poem, at least, it says the dash is the most important part. And while that may be true, I think that sometimes we become so familiar with our own lives, living in our own skin, that we don't see and we're not able to appreciate the growth, the movement, the way we evolve as a human being. We aren't able to see the transformation in us that God's Spirit has evoked. It's like the words in a children's song by Raffi called, I Wonder If I'm Growing. It says, I wonder if I'm growing. I wonder if I'm growing. My mom says I'm growing, but it's hard for me to see. So although it's important to understand the dash, it's helpful to go back and look at the beginning in order to see where you are now. Where you've been in order to appreciate where you are. In today's scriptures lessons, we're focusing on the events on either side of that dash in the lives of Jacob and Moses. Two very human, very flawed, and very loved biblical figures. It's important to understand that these aren't just singular individuals but that they are representatives of a people ready to emerge, a people with a divine destiny. Both are called by God. Both set out on a long, dangerous journey. Both escape captivity. Both are humbled in spirit, and they stumble along, and they bumble along, and they make mistakes, and they question, and they doubt, and they're so very human. And they persevere. We'll see how each of these stories were shaped and transformed by lives lived in intimate communion with the Lord and how we, in turn, are each shaped by our long road home. So with that in mind, as we approach these scriptures, let's go to God in prayer. God, we pray that we might be mindful of your spirit leading us in understanding, and if not understanding, in apprehension, and if not in apprehension, in sheer openness to the way your spirit speaks to us through your word and through these ancient stories. We lift this up to you. We thank you for this blessed moment, this space where you might speak to us, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. The name Jacob actually means trickster or deceiver. The Bible shapes a birth narrative for Jacob, which supports the idea that he was a person that was born with an arrogant and even deceitful disposition. And he goes on to live up to his name. In the story of Jacob, he deceives his old blind father. He lies to him. He pretends he's his brother Esau. And then he goes about the business of stealing his brother's birthright and his brother's blessing. This is a very big deal in this particular time, which meant that 
Esau was no longer the inheritor of all that his father had, that his younger brother, by a few minutes, had become the owner and the master of all of Jacob, all that belonged to Isaac, his father. So it, he began to steal, and then because his brother was upset with him, he snuck his family out in the middle of the night to escape his brother. He was, and he continues on to be deceitful and live up to that trickster name. And right before he set out on this journey, he makes this vow. Listen to what he says. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me, and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come home again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give you one-tenth back. Jacob's use of two small words, if and then, tells us that not only does he not know how to have a relationship with his father and with his brother, but he doesn't know how to have a relationship with God. He acts the same in both instances. He relegates his relationship with his family and his relationship with God to one that is transactional and conditional. If, then. Jacob is of the opinion that he has something with which to barter with God. Just like he was ready to steal his brother's blessing, he is ready to sell and barter for his loyalty to God. And in some way, in this instant, he makes God out to be a fool. And God is nothing, nothing but a fool. Perhaps you struggle with this same thing. Maybe you feel that you can't approach God because you have nothing to exchange for divine favor. Or maybe you feel that you've earned divine favor by your good deeds and your moral behavior. And all the while, it's not about what you do, but it's about who God is. God is simply saying, let's walk together. Let's stay close. Let's talk and work together. It won't be long before you start thinking the way I think. And it won't be long before you start loving like me. And it won't be long before you start wanting the same things I do. After years of being away, God instructs Jacob and invites him to prepare for the long road home. Walking with God, being in a transformational grace with God, has changed Jacob. He is transformed. God even gives him a new name. No longer is he Jacob, 
the deceiver, the trickster. But he is now Israel, the one who wrestles with God. He is no longer offering God a vow as he prepares to return home. If God will agree to his list of demands, he will be loyal. That's not what he says on the way home. What he says lets us know that this is a humble Jacob as he prays this setting out for home. And Jacob said, O God of my father, Abraham, and God of my father, Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred, and I will do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the steadfast love and the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff, I crossed the border, and now I have become two companies. This is the same man. If you will do as I ask, then I will serve you. And as he makes his way home, I am not worthy for any gift that you give me. Wow. Walking with God and being in God's company changes you. It transforms you because of God's grace. When Moses meets God on the mountain, we know that he has a birth narrative that sets him apart as chosen in the Hebrew story. But this actually remains unbeknownst to him for some time. We also know that he's hiding out from the Egyptian authorities because he has murdered an Egyptian citizen. He has been hiding for years in the mountains and he has become a shepherd and the life of a shepherd is a lonely and strange life. So with sheep as his companions, he hides in the mountains And so when God approaches him in fire that cannot be consumed in that bush, it's understandable that he's skeptical and afraid of what God has asked him to do. He's he's actually astounded and quite frankly argues with God for the whole next chapter about why he is not the right person for what God needs done. You're wrong, God. Exodus 3, so come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He said, I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you, that it is I who sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. You shall worship God on this mountain. And then Moses continues to argue. Rather than being angry with Moses for his arguments, God patiently puts aside all the concerns and the reasons why that Moses gives for not being able to do that, for not trusting and promises to be with him Every step of the way, God makes that promise. 
says, I'll be with you. And then Moses agrees to do the job. He stumbles around, he bumbles around, he makes mistakes, he asks questions. He is so very human, but he perseveres. How about you? Are you able to trust the voice of God when you're called? Or do you have all your excuses ready? Are you a slave to your past, unable to move forward because of guilt or shame or regret? Have you been so misshapen by some other cruel voice that says you aren't good enough or worthy enough for service to God? Or that your contribution is inconsequential to life? Remember the voice of transformational grace burning like a fire within that cannot be consumed. Let's walk together. Let's stay close. Let's talk and work together, and it won't be long until you are thinking like me and loving like me and wanting to do the same things I do. Walking with God all those years, all those years in the desert, all those years as they made their way to the promised land, walking with God changed Moses. He was transformed by grace. And not only was he able to make that journey, but he was also able to lead an emerging nation on that long road home as well. From Deuteronomy, never since, since has there arisen a prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. He was unequaled for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to perform in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh and all his servants and his entire land. And for all the mighty deeds and all the terrifying displays of power that Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. We are each of us on this incredible journey together. We are each following the long road home that will lead us home. And what is home? God is home. Follow the voice that calls you, that guides you, that instructs you, that empowers you. The voice that loves you. Follow that voice. It's a voice that is inviting you into transformational grace. Let's walk together. Let's stay close. Let's talk and work together, and it won't be long. It won't be long before you start thinking like me and loving like me and wanting the same things I do. Amen.